You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. Got the whole crew with us on this Tuesday afternoon as we get ready for championship weekend. Kind of hard to believe we are at that point in the season. But Georgia is getting ready for a big matchup. Number one, Georgia. Number eight, Alabama in Atlanta for the SEC title game. Uh, We will all be there on Saturday. A lot to get into with this episode of the podcast. And we've got to start it, guys, with uh, what looks like some impending news. Uh, Before we started recording on this Tuesday, uh, 24-7 Sportsman Zenitz reported that Syracuse is expected to hire Georgia defensive backs coach Fran Brown as its next head coach. This would be Fran's first opportunity to be a head coach. 41-year-old Brown has been on the Georgia staff as defensive backs coach these past two seasons. Um, Obviously, a big opportunity for Fran to get a chance to be a head coach, but a significant loss for Georgia with him leaving, especially with the timing. Uh, We will see. Nothing has been made official as of this recording, just a little bit after noon, Um, but we will follow up once Syracuse makes that hire official. Kip, I'll start with you. Just what are your thoughts about Fran getting this opportunity and the hole that will leave on the Georgia coaching staff? I mean, it's. I know everyone kind of looks at Syracuse and kind of questions why, but I mean, this is a power five head coaching position for a position coach. Uh, so I think it's kind of a no brainer for him. And I mean, as Kirby Smart will say over and over again, this is what he wants for his assistants. And if you're the head coach of, uh, you know, a staff that's sending out assistants to, uh, to head coaching positions, then that means your program's in the right spot. So, uh, I think overall, this is just uh, you know that that next uh, achievement by him. The fact that now he's you know he's sending out position coaches to head coaching positions. I mean, just like in recruiting, uh, that's an easy pitch for whoever Kirby decides to replace Fran Bram with. Now, I mean, he can sell them on. You're coming in on a coaching staff that again is up for. You know, Frank Broyles awards like Bobo, uh, Lanning, uh, Monken, um, even Sam Pittman uh, was, I think, a semifinalist or finalist for the top assistant college football when he was, again, not a coordinator. And obviously he got a, a head coaching position. So I just think overall it's just showing where this program is, the premier program in the country right now. And Kirby's prepared for this. I mean, he had to have known this whole season, the off season, the job that Fran Brown's done since he came on board, uh, that he was going to have opportunities, just like we talk about with Glenn Schumann and some of the other assistants. So he prepares for this, even though it's the timing might not be ideal. I don't think the timing will ever be ideal uh, for you to lose anyone on your staff. So right now, uh, I think he's obviously focused on Alabama, but I, I think he probably has some guys in mind to where he'd like to, you know, hire his next secondary coach who will, 
you know, have someone already waiting for him and Will Muschamp, who I, I think, you know, has a pretty good track record as far as coaching DBs as well. So I think Georgia's in as good a spot as you can be between Muschamp and Kirby Smart to, uh, you know, welcome in that next DB coach and, and set them up for success. Ben, you wrote a very intriguing article after the news about Fran getting ready to take this job, just about the recruiting ramifications, as was noted by many people. Fran is the number one recruiter in the 2024 cycle, according to 24-7 Sports, was hired in the large part because of his recruiting acumen and a lot of the conversations we had heard with players, recruits since he was hired was about those relationships and you know the way he approaches recruiting and and really builds um, you know a friendship and a mentorship with so many of his players uh, how big of a loss is this on the recruiting side and what kind of effect if any do you think this will have on Georgia's 2024 class well there's no doubt about it that Fran Brown I would say unlocked a portion of the country for Georgia to be able to recruit. I mean, we saw Georgia land two guys from the state of New Jersey this cycle with Jordan Thomas and Nair Daniels. And neither of those are defensive backs. Those are guys that he's having an impact across position rooms now because of the footprint that he's familiar with in the state of New Jersey. He's a New Jersey guy. Um, you know, I find it interesting, actually, um, the, the interim head coach at Syracuse right now or, you know, before this was Nunzio Campanile, whose brother is actually Nair Daniels high school football coach. That family is super close with Fran Brown. So why he would end up at Syracuse makes a ton of sense. He's going to recruit that area better than most other people, given the challenge presented at, at Syracuse. And like Kip mentioned, it's a power five job. If you can be a position coach and get a, a power five head coaching job, you take that opportunity 10 times out of 10 from a Georgia standpoint, there are probably some specific recruitments that will see that of potentially affect, or at least, create some intrigue around Ellis Robinson is going to be the one that comes to mind immediately. Their relationship extended beyond his time at Georgia back when he was at Rutgers and temple, he had a relationship with Ellis Robinson. Ellis Robinson is the best cover corner in the country. He's the best defensive back that Georgia's got committed in this class. He is without a doubt, the number one guy that Georgia is going to be all hands on deck, ensuring that they can secure him because he has taken a look around. He's already taken a couple of visits to Miami. He's already, you know, been, chased after by other programs like Alabama, like Florida, like Florida State throughout the course of his recruitment. So Georgia knows that it's going to be a battle to hold on to him at this point. They're also in the unfortunate position of they're facing Alabama this week. They're probably not making a, sec a secondary coach change or, or a hire this week. So the, the conversation that you're having to have with these guys is a little bit more challenging. To Kip's point, Georgia does a better job than most of diversifying your staff interactions and so they have will muschamp who talks to a lot of these defensive backs with ellis robinson specifically he has a really strong relationship with will muschamp demello jones is another defensive back committed really really strong relationship with will muschamp a guy that just decommitted from virginia tech marcellus barnes that has a strong relationship with fran brown is also really really close with will muschamp so there are certainly connections that georgia has on staff that are going to help secure these things where I think we'll probably see a bigger impact because I would not be, I would not sit here right now and say, I think any of those guys I just named are any or are not likely to land at Georgia now just because of this news. Um, that's where I think there will be a bigger impact is probably looking at the 2025 class in that New Jersey footprint. Guys that have position, you know, their only real point of contact this early in their recruitment is Fran Brown. There were a lot of guys that, 
you know, were seriously considering Georgia, had been on visits throughout this year in large part or primarily due to Fran Brown. So I think that it might have a slightly bigger future impact than immediate impact, but we'll definitely be looking at guys like Ellis Robinson, DeMello Jones, and Marcellus Barnes down the stretch just to see if this plays an impact on where they end up signing in a few weeks. I want to get y'all's opinions on this piece of this coaching news. Obviously, at the time we were recording this, Syracuse has not announced this hire, but all indications are that it will be Fran Brown. Um, I am of the belief, this is just my own speculation, that you won't see Fran uh, stay with this team during the playoff run if Georgia makes it that far, just because of the nature of college football right now. The transfer portal is open. Fran will have to put his staff together with the Orange. And you also factor in the fact that you have Kirby Smart and you have Will Muschamp already on staff, who I think can kind of help pick up the slack from the defensive backs coach. And, you know, I say this not as someone, you know, like taking a shot at Fran, oh, you know, he's going to leave this team. But I think it's more of the nature of college football now. I mean, he would most certainly be falling behind a little bit in his new opportunity if he sticks around. And maybe he tries to juggle it like Kirby Smart did when he was still at Alabama. But college football's changed quite a bit, you know, in the time since, I guess that was December 2015. I'll start with you, Kip. I mean, do you see that as being a possibility that Fran sticks around for this run if Georgia uh, is able to win the SEC title and does make the playoff? It's interesting because I was trying to think about just coaches in the past and whether or not they've stayed on board. But I do think the fact that it's a, you know, it's a head coaching position does kind of make it just a little different because he's got to go run, you know, an entire program. If it was a a position coach going for a coordinator position, I can definitely see him staying on board. Um, but again, I'm sure Kirby Smart's going to ask him to, as long as George is in the playoff hunt, he's going to want to keep, you know, all coaches on deck as many, you know, eyes on, you know, the film and all the tendencies. I think Dan Lanning, uh, he stayed with Georgia. Um, Mel Tucker didn't, but Georgia was eliminated at that point. So you have kind of precedent on both sides. So I don't think it's really cut and dry. I mean, obviously with the transfer portal now, I guess that's, you know, an added wrinkle to that. But just the fact that if, uh, unless I'm misremembering this, uh, Lanning did stay on board and help Georgia during its playoff run. He kind of handled both at the same time. So uh, that could be a situation where they're asking Fran Brown to do the same. Ben, you got any thoughts? Well, if I'm not mistaken on landing, did they? I think they might have adjusted responsibilities slightly in some of the weeks, like before and after signing day or something like that as well, just to give him time to be able to focus a little bit more on Oregon. I think that what it comes down to, and I do not know the answer to this whatsoever, is how much does Kirby Smart trust in Fran Brown to do the task at hand for Georgia? And I think that the answer to that is going to be different for any coach. And I think that when you're making that move from – a position coach to your first head coaching job in a role that is going to be really, really difficult. I mean, it's an uphill battle as the head coach at Syracuse. So he definitely needs to a lot time to that. I will say, I was just looking at it because I didn't uh, believe it or not. I hadn't looked deep into the Syracuse recruiting class before this moment. They've got 18 guys committed. So it's not like they have to fill an entire recruiting class necessarily here down the stretch. There's probably a transfer element to it that'll need to focus on, but I think really it all comes down to, what Kirby believes is possible in terms of Fran Brown, you know, diverting his, devoting his attention to the right place. We'll keep you guys informed as that uh, hire officially officially goes into effect and uh, any news that comes out of that, especially when it comes to if Fran will stay with this team 
uh, going forward as they go for their third straight national championship. Fellas, let's look back to this past weekend. Uh, Georgia went to Bobby Dodd Stadium with a chance to uh, get the upper hand on in-state rival Georgia Tech in another edition of Clean Old Fashioned Hate. Wasn't the prettiest game in the world, but Georgia takes care of business. Quite shorthanded on offense, gets the win 31-23. to Ends another regular season 12-0. They become the first program since 93-95 Nebraska to have three consecutive regular seasons undefeated. I'll start with you, Ben. What stood out to you the most about that game? The fact that Georgia won it in the fashion they did and the fact that they go into SEC championship game weekend with an undefeated record. Well, for, first half, aside from the one play where Dejan fumbled, it was a pretty perfect offensive first half. And I think that that's where I would put most of my attention in terms of how do we draw what we saw from the Georgia Tech game offensively to what we saw or what we'll see this week. And I don't think we can take much away from the second half because I just think there were some weird things that went on in that game as typically is the case. I think the bigger concerns would probably be on the defensive side of the ball with the way that Georgia tech was able to run the ball. That said, I mean, Georgia tech has run the ball effectively all year long. You look at the two teams that ran the ball effectively against Georgia this year. And I guess you could point to Missouri at times and they obviously have the leading rusher in the sec, but Auburn and Georgia tech both eclipsed the 200 yard mark both those teams are top 20 in the country and rushing offense this season. So it's not like you're giving up a lot of yards to these slack offenses. I know what people think about Auburn and what they think about Georgia tech on the whole, but if you just, you know, boil it down specifically to the rushing offenses, they're really capable there. So I wouldn't, you know, I don't think it's too much cause for concern, especially because I think how Georgia Tech tried to run the football is different than the way that Alabama will be a threat. I mean, I know Kirby talked about, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, but Kirby talked about this a little bit yesterday with Jalen Milrow. You know, is he a runner? Is he a scrambler? Is he a designed runner? Haynes King is much more of a designed runner than Jalen Milrow is going to be. Where Jalen Milrow is really going to scare you is – when plays break down, he scrambles, and he's now the most athletic guy on the field running around a bunch of defensive linemen and linebackers. That's where he gets really, really dangerous. So I don't know that I take too much away from that game other than Georgia went 12-0 and again, 36-0 and over the last three regular seasons. Pretty remarkable stuff. And, um, you know, even though it's Georgia Tech and you want to win by more than one score, I think that Georgia felt really good getting out of what turned out to be a pretty physical football game. Kip, uh, what were your big takeaways from Georgia-Georgia Tech? Georgia sat out its star player once again, sat out a couple more uh, important players and looked like they were in safe mode the entire game. Um, I, I think that this is a situation where uh, Kirby Smart was not worried about style points at all. Uh, what you know, Whether that affects this week's playoff rankings, we can discuss in a little bit. But I don't think that, you know, he lost sight of the big picture, which was I need to be cautious. I know what game is here in Atlanta a week from now. And, you know, getting the putting these guys at risk out there on the field in a game that doesn't have quite the same meaning to it, knowing that we're going to come away with a victory just isn't isn't worth the, you know, the juice isn't worth the squeeze there. And I think, uh, you know, I got a little bit more uncomfortable than Georgia would have wanted to. And I think. Anytime you give up a season high in points, there are you know, some things that you need to go back and look at, uh, some issues there. But I, I think overall, um, you know the difference in not having Brock Bowers, Lad McConkey, and Rara Thomas out there. And I think this week, getting those guys back will obviously be key. 
but there's still i mean the the silver lining is the fact that kendall milton seems like he's he's arrived and playing the best football of his career finally healthy it's kind of what i said in the offseason can kendall milton finally stay healthy when georgia needs him most late in the season i mean we talked about that in july and here we are this is when georgia is going to need him most and uh, I, I think he's kind of the key to the you know georgia's december uh, success yeah, I think you hit on it, Kip. I mean, my biggest thing, you look at how they called that game, it almost felt like more old-school Georgia. I mean, they just pounded the rock. Carson Beck into that game with his fewest completions and attempts and uh, fewest passing yards on the season, and I think that was by design with those guys that they had out. Uh, I compared that game to the Vanderbilt game because it, it was one of those games where you never felt like Georgia is really in trouble here. Georgia Tech could win this game, but – you go into that fourth quarter, you have that really bizarre interception Carson throws in the end zone, and it keeps Georgia Tech alive. If Georgia is able to kick a field goal there, they have an 18-point lead, and you know the game's pretty much out of hand. So, you know, I, I think that Georgia Tech does deserve a lot of credit for hanging around, for looking a lot better than I think they have in the past. Uh, but it wasn't as close as an eight-point game, and and we were talking about this in the press box with some of the other beat riders. Uh, Kirby wouldn't admit it, but he would be just as fine with a one or two point win. Hey, get out of here. Try to stay healthy, which I don't believe anyone got banged up in that game and then move on. And I mean, that's what Georgia did. It was nothing fancy. Uh, like you mentioned, Kip, we'll talk about the playoff rankings here in a few minutes. Um, it may affect them for a week in that regard, but Georgia did what it had to do. And now it's moving on to one of the biggest challenges it's faced all year. Before we take a break, I want to make sure and plug for everybody that today, Tuesday, is the final day of our 75% off VIP sale. If you haven't already, please go take advantage of that. Save yourself some money. Uh, join us over there on the junkyard. Get a chance to read all our VIP content, all of Ben's great stay walks, all of the news as we have seen and covered on this podcast. Coaching carousel is in full effect. Transfer portal, starting to see guys enter there. It's going to be a very busy few weeks in the next few months, especially if Georgia is able to go off to the college football playoff. It is very much worth uh, the price of admission to join us over there at Dogs 24-7. So we will take a quick break, talk about the upcoming college football playoff rankings, and then talk a little SEC championship game. Guys, let's turn our attention to what will be the penultimate college football playoff rankings. Uh, as we go into championship week, Tuesday night, there will be a ranking announced. Obviously, the big one will be on Sunday once championship weekend is in the books. I was throwing this out before we started recording, and I want to get your guys' opinions. I think that Georgia will get jumped in this week's college football playoff ranking. I think that Michigan, having beaten Ohio State in the game, We'll jump to number one. I say that, but I would also tell Georgia fans, take it easy, calm down, don't freak out if that happens. I think if Georgia goes in and wins, beats number eight Alabama, that Georgia would be able to jump Michigan right back and have a chance to go into the playoff as the number one seed. I'll start with you, Kip. What do you make of what this playoff ranking will look like? Is Georgia going to stay at number one, or do you think we'll see a change? You know what? I, I think it, it really does boil down to what the committee feels like this week since the criteria is, you know, always changing. I think if you look at the fact that Georgia has three top 25 wins in the last four games, um, 
and those teams continue to win after playing Georgia, you know, Missouri, Ole Miss, um, there's still teams that are right around the the top 10. That helps Georgia's playoff resume overall. Uh, it depends on how much, you know, they were, they're focused on the here and now or the overall body of work. I think Georgia still has uh, that overall body of work, but I mean, Michigan has potentially a pair of top 10 wins, depending on how the rankings uh, fall. You got Ohio State and Penn State. So I, I, I think you start to look at overall body of work versus, you know, what have you done lately? Uh, it, it's still pretty tough. I would give Georgia the slight edge, but I do think Michigan probably steals a, a couple of votes and probably makes it closer than, you know, what it normally would be if you're just, again, looking at that overall, what they've done over the season. Ben, uh, what do you think will happen with the ranking? I personally think George, I mean, Kirby probably wants him to drop to two just so there's an extra perceived slight out there, even though I say all the time being ranked number two in the country is not a slight. But um, no, I, I think Georgia will stick at number one. I mean, they have three, what I expect to be three top 25 wins to compared to Michigan's two. I suppose there's a team or two that could backdoor their way into the top 25 and change that slightly. I mean, just looking at what we do see, I mean, Michigan's won their two top 25 games by a combined 15 points. Georgia's won their three by an average of 24. So it's like, I don't actually think the resumes are that close. I think the question becomes, does Michigan will have the best win because the win over Ohio State will be the highest ranked win? Do I think that Ohio State at seven or eight ends up, you know, being a, a that much better of a win in the committee's eyes than a Missouri at nine or miss at 11. Probably not. So I think Georgia will stay at one. And um, I don't know, maybe we'll, maybe on Sunday we're having an interesting conversation if Georgia loses and we'll talk scenarios of how Georgia can backdoor their way in. Yeah, that's a good point brought up uh, by Jay frog on YouTube. No sec team in the playoffs is a real possibility. How nuts would that be? I do think that if Georgia were to lose, I mean, you're looking at a very, very complicated situation for really the playoff when it comes to the SEC. Do you put in Alabama? Do they get in over Texas who beat them? Does Georgia still find a way in if the game is close? Um, it, it would be a very complicated situation if that were to bear out. It's crazy, and I understand it. Don't get me wrong. Like If you look at the scenarios, what they'll look like on Sunday, it makes sense. But that a team could win 29 games in a row, and then they're still having into that 30th game be proving whether or not they're you know one of the best teams in college football. Again, I get it. There will be a lot of conference championships out there, even though I don't understand why some of the conference championships matter as much as people say they do. If the Pac-12 championship mattered so much, why would everybody be leaving the Pac-12? Are we already at the point where the committee is suffering from Georgia fatigue? Um, it just seems like Alabama had a decade run before maybe people actually admitted, you know, all right, we're giving them the benefit of the doubt, uh, you know, more than maybe we should. Um, I mean, they've got <laughs> – we watched that team get into the playoffs, at, you know, not getting to the SC championship game. Um, so here we are talking about – you know, Georgia, they might just be, you know, tired of seeing Georgia in the playoff. I, I think that in itself is an incredible thing, but also a narrative that, I mean, would be very consistent just with how things have gone. Like I said, with how the Crimson Tide got treated for, uh, you know, all their success, they kind of got that, you know, well, it's Alabama. They're going to be pretty good in the playoff. They're probably one of the four best teams. And they almost got in last year uh, with that. 
so at the end of the day, if if you're talking about the four best teams, you know, uh, it, it's tough to see Georgia not being one of those right now. Oh, to be a fly on the wall with some of these meetings that the playoff committee is going to have over the next few days. Well, let's go from the hypotheticals to what we know is going to happen. SEC championship game on Saturday afternoon, Georgia and Alabama. Obviously, a very highly anticipated matchup between these two teams. Number one, Georgia. Number eight, Alabama. This will be the first time these two teams have met since the 2022 college football playoff national title game. Georgia won that one 33-18 for those who may not remember. Uh, Kip, I'm going to start with you. What intrigues you the most about this matchup with the Crimson Tide? Uh, what's going to have to go in Georgia's favor for them to move to 13-0? and Definitely two different uh, questions there in my mind. I think what intrigues me the most, because I'm an NFL draft junkie, so I always look for those matchups that are going to put film out there that we're going to be talking about in the first round next year. And I, I think the, the top one is definitely Alabama edge rusher Dallas Turner versus Amarius Mims. You know, I, I think we're coming off of Mims's best game at Georgia. Uh, just the protection he provided for Carson Beck against Georgia Tech and also just him getting to that second level and showing his athleticism. Um, you know, we just saw Broderick Jones, you know, just put out outstanding tape when it mattered most and it got him, you know, picked early in this year's draft. Now we're looking at Amarius Mims having the opportunity to, to go up against right now a guy who's probably going to go in the top 10 overall picks and, and Dallas Turner, who again is, you know, having a very strong season. I think uh, he's got eight sacks, 12 and a half tackles for loss. So he's kind of, you know, taken up that spot for Will Anderson as the top edge guy. It's going to be an outstanding matchup. And I think it's an opportunity for Marys to likewise, like Broderick, uh, really increase his stock from, you know, maybe a, a mid first round pick to a guy that, coming off injury is going to look like maybe a top 15 overall pick. And I think that's that's kind of where this matchup is for him. If he can protect, again, Carson Beck and give him time to throw and open up some run lanes, he can really make himself a lot of money. And then the mat, what Georgia, what has to happen in this game, obviously it's going to come down to Jalen Milrow and containing him. I think on designed runs, um, other than the fact that um, I get, I believe it was against Auburn. You had, um, you know, like a 70 yard run early in the game by like Peyton Thorne. Georgia has handled design runs very well all season long where it really, you know, you have to wonder is when the play breaks down the unexpected quarterback runs, you know, when Jalen Milrow can't, he doesn't see anyone downfield. You know, if Jermaine Burton isn't open or, uh, you know, Isaiah Bond, he, he takes off. Um, Georgia hasn't really spied the quarterback much and it's given up contain a lot. So that is the, you know, that theme of how you beat Georgia in this game is if plays break down, you, you know, you get chunks of yardage and give yourself another opportunity to, uh, you know, just go through your playbook. So I think that, that's really it. Um, you have to make sure that you're not letting him beat you with his feet when you have good coverage downfield. And that's the key for Georgia in this football game. Yeah, I think there's going to be a whole lot of focus about Jalen Milrow. And, and as you mentioned, even before that, they've got to keep Carson Beck upright for sure. Ben, what about you? What intrigues you the most about this game and what you're going to be watching closely once we get to Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Saturday? Well, I think, and I probably have sounded like a broken record at times talking about this, like when you ask what do other teams need to do to beat Georgia, and 
so many times it's like, well, George is just going to out talent you. George is just going to out talent you that, you know, there's not much you can do. There's obviously a much closer talent profile here, arguably the closest in all of college football. I still think that Georgia is in the side where if, you know, if Georgia does, I think for Alabama to win this game, I think that they're going to have to turn Georgia over. I think that they're going to have to limit possessions. Like I still believe that Alabama is going to have to do all of the things that other teams that Georgia has played on its schedule this season have to do to make games competitive. I mean, you look just last week, and I know I don't want to linger too much on the Auburn and Georgia Tech games because I think they were probably slight outliers. And as Kirby said yesterday, he knows how it goes over there at Auburn. But Alabama won its turnover battle by three on Saturday. Georgia lost its turnover battle by two. And I'm not saying that Georgia Tech and Auburn are the same football teams, but Georgia's the type of team that if Georgia wins the turnover battle against you, good luck. Good luck. Now, Georgia has done teams a lot of favors over the last two seasons of not winning that turnover battle. And I think that it's made a lot of scoreboards look a lot closer than the games actually were. So I think what's intriguing to me is, is Alabama able to strike early like other teams have? Is Alabama able to force Georgia into some mistakes like Georgia Tech did, like Vanderbilt did, some of the closer scoreboard games this season than you would have expected them to be? Is Alabama able to do those things early? If Alabama does... I think it's going to be a really good competitive football game. If Georgia is able to win those things that they have not won at certain points throughout this season, I do believe that Georgia will do the types of things that it typically does to its opponents. Looking at this game for me, going back to Kip earlier talking about Kendall Milton, I think that the Georgia run game is going to have a lot of say in how close this game is. You know, I talked to some of our friends, Ben, that cover Auburn just to get a feel for what they saw from Alabama. And there were a lot of concerns with Alabama's defensive line and you know they struggled to stop Auburn's run game 244 rushing yards 5.8 yards an attempt and I think it's important to remember everybody knows Auburn's going to run the ball they have no passing game this season with Peyton Thorne and those receivers and Alabama could not stop them I mean I think this is a golden opportunity for Kendall Milton for Dejon Edwards uh, all those running backs to show up and really grind this thing out I think you're going to see Carson Beck and those guys, you know, attack through the air as they've done all year. But to me, that is a glaring weakness in this Alabama team. And I think it's one that Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards very much have the ability to exploit. I want to make sure and plug at 1130 on Wednesday, 1130 Eastern time. Uh, I will be on with Mike Rodak from Bama 24-7. We are going to preview this edition of the SEC Championship game, get a better feel for this Crimson Tide team, what we need to look out for, and what we may see when these two teams take the field in Atlanta on Saturday afternoon. Uh, before we get out of here, Georgia Men's Basketball Minute. Uh, Georgia is now 3-3 three and three on the hardwood. Beat Winthrop 78-69 to last Friday. Very good game from Noah Thomason, the Niagara Transfer played really well, wound up being uh, Georgia's lead scorer. Good second half from Justin Hill. Uh, really seemed like in that first half, the offense was a bit of a slog, kind of settled in, got some big rebounds. Finally, for the first time this season, won the rebounding battle, which don't really want to wait till six games into the season to do that. Uh, but they will be back in action Wednesday night as part of the SEC-ACC Challenge. 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time tip in Tallahassee, Georgia playing Florida State. Um, that's going to be a very big challenge for the Bulldogs. Seminoles playing really well. Bounce back from a tough loss to Florida early in non-conference play, and their last time out they beat number 18 Colorado. So I think this is a big test for Georgia. I think we're going to get much more of a sense of how good this team can be 
and uh, they played a whole lot of SC, or I should say they have played a lot of ACC competition to start this season. It's going to be another tough test, and I think we're going to learn quite a bit about this Bulldogs team uh, when they take the uh, hardwood there in Tallahassee. We are going to wrap up the episode right there. I appreciate Kip and Ben for popping on. Thank you all to everyone who watched this live, everyone who was listening to this after the fact. I want to make sure again and plug our 75% off sale. If you are listening to this on Tuesday, don't wait because it is going to end Tuesday night. Uh, 75% off our VIP membership. Get access to all of our VIP content, all the stay walks, all the recruiting news, all the coaching news, all the transfer portal news. Uh, you will get it and for pennies on the dollar. Also go to the Dogs 24-7 YouTube page. Uh, make sure and check out all the Kirby Smart press conferences, player interviews, Mike White press conference, and Georgia men's basketball player interviews, as well as these podcast episodes. So for Kip Adams, I am for Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolk, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody.